Uh, all right, so if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Matthew 1. We're going to be reading uh, essentially the birth story of Jesus in Matthew 1, verse 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Lord, just bless this time. We ask your presence this morning. In Jesus' name. All right, so uh, as, as everyone that is attending regularly know, we've been working through the Apostles' Creed, and uh, we looked at, just, just a reminder, we looked at the definition of a creed last week, and it's a set of beliefs which aims to guide someone's actions. So it is our conviction that as we walk through these, um, these tenets of the faith and these, these statements of belief, we absolutely have a conviction that it will impact how we live our daily life. Um, hopefully we can get a, a survey of the history of the church, but it should absolutely impact how we live. Um, if we look at the creed in its entirety, Each section of the Apostles' Creed is dedicated to one member of the Trinity. Um, We find that we first, we talk about the Father, then we talk about Jesus, the Son, and then finally we talk about the Holy Spirit. And if you just look at the volume of the words, Jesus receives the lion's share of the attention. And Jesus takes center stage. And this is not because Jesus is greater member of the Trinity, Um, but it is because he, for us humans, is the one that made it possible for us to enter into relationship with the Godhead. He is the one who came and took on human flesh like our own, and therefore there's something special about him, and that's why we spend, it's part of the reason why we spend an extra amount of time, or the creeds dedicates a little more space to Jesus Christ. Last week, we began this section on Jesus, and uh, John walked through Jesus as Messiah and Lord, and we asked ourselves, who is Jesus to you and I personally? Who's Jesus to you? Is he a moral teacher? Is he a social social justice crusader? Or is he the one and only, the Messiah, who deserves our absolute... Tension, our absolute submission, 
in our worship. John uh, further spoke about Jesus' influence, like that he is without uh, dispute the, um, the most influential person of all history. And he is that without being um, the son of, you know, an earthly king or coming from royalty. Um, he never wrote a book. He was actually the son of a carpenter. He never traveled outside of approximately 200 miles of his hometown. I mean, um, all the things that we typically think of those that uh, make, make a big uh, splash, if you will, on earth. Jesus did not have those. And yet, I don't think anyone can dispute that he is the most influential person as we're still talking about him. I mean, there's, there's millions talking about him daily and weekly in church services. So this week, we're going to be looking at Jesus as he's coming into the world and he takes on human flesh. Jesus took on flesh just like ours. As we get started, I want to just ask us as, uh, you know, whatever, uh, 2021 Americans just to slide off our Western worldview glasses and try to put ourselves in the seats of those who originally um, developed the creed and also just quoted it because that was it was written in a certain time period and we want to understand what the purpose of the creed was at that time because I know for myself I don't know about you guys but when I read or recite conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary I, I naturally almost think of like modern science it's like oh yeah this is a description of how Jesus came to be like uh, and I almost go to biology and, you know, science. We clearly don't need to, you know, flesh that out here at Refuge. Um, rather, I want to look at what the original participants in the creed, um, what they were thinking. Um, they would not see this as a scientific description about how Jesus came about on earth. Rather, the purpose of the creed was to highlight that the dawning of Jesus, of Nazareth, was unlike anything the world has ever seen or ever would see. This event, the nativity, if you will, was monumental and would change eternity. Today, I want to just look at two ways um, we could honestly talk about the subject probably for Weeks, but I want to just look at two ways and that the birth of Jesus and the conception of Jesus was unlike anything that we've ever seen and ever will see. So first, we're going to look at the conception of Jesus that it was an entirely divine act without any human contribution. Second, we will look at um, just that this Jesus of Nazareth, as born to Mary the Virgin, he was holy God in human flesh. So that's kind of where we're going. Um, so let's just take those one at a time. So the conception of Jesus was wholly divine without any human contribution. If you look down at your Bibles where we were just reading, um, before the passage we read, Matthew actually lays out the genealogy of Jesus. And um, basically, from the time of Abraham, walks history forward until uh, Jesus' arrival on earth 
to Mary and Joseph. What we see is that God, if we like just look at each of those and kind of reflect on the story or turn back to the Old Testament, what we would see is that God has been on mission to redeem the world, and that progress on this mission has been carried out by his divine hand. Although men and women have taken place or taken part and participated in this mission, we find that the actual progress, the actual move forward has been carried out by God's divine hand, by his supernatural intervention. Let's be honest, if it was up to us, we probably would have messed it up many, many times. Well, I mean, we know we would have. So God has had to intervene and make it clear that it's he is making progress. He is bringing about redemption for his people. And we know this, he said this from the time of... uh, with Adam and Eve, after they messed up, he said, it will not always be like this. I I will redeem the world. I will bring a Messiah. And so from the start, we know that God has been working his his, uh, plan of redemption. But um, one of the specific ways I want to talk about this morning that we see God's working his uh, divine hand, if you will, through Old Testament is just through barren women. Interesting, Um, but if you reflect on the Old Testament times with the people of Israel, um, they were a very agricultural society, right? So fertility was extremely important, whether it be fertility of crops, flocks, or humans. Couldn't come up with another locks, but uh, like humans, all those were very important uh, in that society. And we know that, sadly, Uh, when there was a lack of fertility, especially with regard to humans, that often the shame fell on the woman. And it was very, you know, obviously it's a tragic thing, and we know that's ridiculous now that uh, there could be a myriad of reasons for uh, infertility. Um, But um, at that time in history, the shame would fall to women. However, what we also see when we look at the Old Testament is that there are several examples of women who were barren until God intervened and enabled conception. And he enabled new life to come about. And what we often find is that the new life that was birthed, that after the Lord miraculously intervened, that that new life uh, was actually for a very special purpose. It was actually God's hand so that all credit could go to God. So if we look at, again, just real quick, if we look down at Matthew, that the, the very beginning, so Matthew 2, we see it starts with Abraham was father of Isaac, Isaac was father of Jacob. Just those, I guess, three, we know that Abraham and Sarah struggled with infertility. We know that uh, Isaac and his wife, Rachel, struggled with infertility for something like 20 years. We know in, uh, in Genesis 25, it says, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and his wife Rebekah conceived. So Abraham and Sarah gave birth to Isaac, then Isaac and his wife. Then we know that Isaac and his wife had Jacob and Esau. Jacob also with his wife... Uh, um, Help me out here. 
uh, Rachel, thank you. Um, she also struggled with infertility, and, and yet the Lord brought about Joseph. And we know that Joseph, although not of the lineage of Jesus, he is the one who saved the Israelites from extinction. He was the one um, who the Lord used in Egypt. And so there's, there's several other examples, but I just want to look, through, look at one of those today. So uh, if you can turn in your, in your Bibles to Genesis uh, 15. Genesis 15. And we're going to be just looking at the first few verses here. Again, so Abraham, the, the, the father of this lineage, as we see in Matthew, um, him and his wife, we know that they struggled with infertility. And if we read Genesis 15, we'll read the first few verses here. Well, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Eleazar was one of his servants. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, and he said, Look toward the heaven. Number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So we see that from the very beginning of the story of Jesus, we see that God was working divinely. He said, no, we, I am going to provide miraculously. Although you cannot have a child right now, I will provide. And we know that Matt, or Abraham and Sarah actually, you know, after a while they got impatient and they took matters into their own hands and different culture there. Uh, but Sarah said, please sleep with my servant. And uh, he slept, Abraham slept with Hagar and she gave birth. And God was abundantly clear. No, that, that is not my plan. I will bring about the Redeemer you are failing to trust me and my ways. I just want to stop right now. Where, where are you maybe failing to trust the Lord in your own life? Uh, possibly it could be a difficult situation. Uh, in this case, infertility. Um, and I don't even want to presume to know what that's like, but maybe it's that. Maybe it's some other challenge in your life where you are struggling to trust the Lord and it's been years and years and years and you've yet to see the Lord answer. He seems to be quiet. I encourage you, lean into this Lord that is, is good, this Lord that is faithful. When the Lord originally or finally did come back to Abraham and Sarah, um, he sent one of his messengers that said, the time has come. Your son, by biological means, is coming. And the Lord's messenger said, 
Because Sarah was, she was struggling. She was laughing. She actually laughed at the Lord's message and said, sure. Yeah, right. Um, and the Lord's servant said, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? And I just, I, I think we should all ask that because we've all walked through hard times. Times where it was tough to trust the Lord. Maybe, maybe we feel like he's been unfaithful. But ask yourself, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? We talked about uh, last week about what part of our life are we maybe not submitting to the Lord's um, lordship, if you are submitting to the Lord as king. What, what areas of your life you might be not be willing to turn over to him? Could that be just from lack of trust? Again, I think... This story of Jesus calls us to, to trust the Lord, trust the good Father, as we're going to get into. Jesus is, is the great example of trusting the Heavenly Father, and we'll get into that. So, Brent, you've talked about this virgin birth or this barren woman theme. How does this tie into this, this uh, conceived of the Virgin Mary or, born, or conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary that we've been quoting. Well, the virgin birth of Jesus was essentially the climax to this theme that we see of barren women and the Lord's intervention in their lives. One commentator puts it this way. He says, the virgin birth was simply the culmination of the ancient theme of the barren woman who conceives now the barren woman par excellence, a virgin, conceives by divine intervention, that is the Holy Spirit. Moreover, the child she will bear will not only be exceptional, but will be unequaled, the son of the Most High, whose kingdom will have no end. We know from Isaiah that he promised that the, the, the Messiah would come through a virgin. And here Jesus is the culmination of that, the, the fulfillment of that. So in the past, in the Old Testament, we see that God intervened to open the womb of women who eventually conceived by natural means. And the Lord rose up a leader, a great Christian spiritual leader for a special act of the Lord. But this time, the birth came about entirely by an act of God. And this time, rather than just a great leader, the actual son of God was birthed. When I think about what was Mary's, you know, part in this, she was entirely passive. What did Mary provide? She provided essentially a, a safe womb where... The Holy Spirit conceived Jesus. And I think this is, isn't this a great picture of how our salvation works? What do we contribute to our salvation? Uh, William Temple, who's the, who was the Archbishop at Canterbury, he said the only thing of our very own which we contribute to our salvation is the sin which makes it necessary. Isn't that true? All we contribute is the sin. Um, let, let us be a people who 
default, liberally default to God's grace rather than defaulting to ourselves. I was, when I was preparing for this, I was talking with my wife, and it's like, why is it in my life that too often I exhaust myself of my own resources, and I'm like, you know, just beat down, and I was like, okay, I'm going to pray. And then I pray. And the Lord is faithful, as he always is. Why, why do I default? If you're anything like me, why do you default to your own resources? Why do you default to your own strength, your own reasoning, your own logic? Why don't we be a people who default to Jesus? Default to God, the creator of the universe. I'd encourage you with that. May we be a people who are often in prayer. I mean, look at Jesus Christ, God's own son, in his earthly ministry, we're told that he like we're told repeatedly that he would separate himself, pull away, and go away and have a long time with God, would plead the Father. We look at uh, him going to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is in the garden pleading with God, pouring his heart out to God, and he wasn't really stoked on God's method, like that he wanted to carry about this redemption. It's like, if, this, if the, there's another way to do this, let's explore that. If anyone can, like, feel that, anyone can resonate with that. It's like, God, is this the only way? And sometimes the answer is yes. But may we be a people who default to God, default to his, his wisdom, his resources. So, turning to the second point why Jesus' birth is something that we've never seen, nor ever will see. This Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, who was born to Mary the Virgin, this was holy God in human flesh. This is something we say so often, at least we in the church, say this so often, I almost think we've become numb to the awesomeness and the miraculousness of this. God, the Son, became human flesh. So when we think about Jesus' conception, it's wholly divine, right? Mary, Mary, with the conception, Mary took no part. But Jesus' birth was wholly natural. We have no reason to believe, and the scripture does not indicate, that there was anything supernatural about the birth of Jesus. So, imagine with me, the Holy Spirit conceives of Jesus Christ, God. That embryo is God. So from conception, you have God who submitted himself to the Father and said, yes, I'm going to be carried around by this young girl for nine months before birth. That is mind-boggling to me. That's insane. God was in heaven, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to allow myself to be an embryo carried for nine months, and then I'm going to be birthed, if you will, um, by natural means, 
Think about the, the birth of a child and its helpless, dependent, utterly vulnerable new state. That's Jesus coming into the world. We have no reason to believe that Jesus' birth was anything but a, anything other than a normal birth. It is messy and likely painful. It's interesting, in the, new, in the early church, like one of the reasons this is in the creed is because in the early church there was significant pushback. I shouldn't say the early church, but in the time of the early church, there was many who were pushing back and argued against Jesus' full humanity. They had no problem with his divinity. It's like, yeah, he was obviously God, his miraculous signs, um, but we, we can't do this Jesus as a baby. That's, that's just too low. And yet, that's not what Scripture tells us. Uh, I want to read real quick from Philippians 2. I'm going to read this um, from the message just because I thought it was incredible the way um, it was written here. So I'm going to read from Philippians 2. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of the status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. He became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim any special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life. So we see that Jesus, he absolutely had the power and the privileges of deity, and yet he chose not to exercise those. In submission to the Heavenly Father, he abstained from exercising those, and as a baby, he existed in a normal, weak state, dependent on his mom and dad. Just, again, this is the God who was from the beginning. This is the God who created all things, humbling himself, and now submitting almost the process he created. I'm going to go through it. I'm going to be birthed in an animal stable. I can't help but say this is definitely how God calls us to follow in his footsteps. He calls us to take up, his, take up our cross and follow him. If Jesus went humble like this, if Jesus had a right to all these privileges and was in heaven and set that all aside for our, our, our like salvation, I don't think we can cling to our rights or privileges, but rather we also must lay those down. He should have been born in the most fabulous kingdom with everyone worshiping at his feet, but rather he was born in a stable, and there was some shepherds there and some animals looking on. So I just, want, I just want to encourage you, as the body of Christ, take courage. We have a king who, although being of greatest power and unequaled nature, he set that all aside, and he's gone before us. He's walked before us in humility. 
He does not call us to walk a road that he's not himself willing to walk and walked already. I, uh, when I think about that song we sang about this morning, Ryan, I loved it as well, um, just about the Lord's presence. I mean, the, that's all over in the Bible. Emmanuel, God with us. We know in John, um, I think it's John 7 or 17, that Jesus says, Father, I want those that you've given me to be with me where I am. Jesus longs for and loves us, and I don't understand why. Um, I, there's not much lovely about me, but Jesus longs to be with us. He longs to uh, be, spend fellowship with us and commune with us, not just now, but forever. I mean, Jesus came on earth, and then when he left, he sent the Holy Spirit. We have a God who wants us to lean into him. May we do that. May we not, may we not ignore that. So just, uh, just in closing, like, why is, this, why is this important? Is this really something that uh, has monumental uh, importance, so much so we, we need to say it every week um, and recite it in the creed? Well, yes, of course. Um, it's absolutely necessary it was absolutely necessary for Jesus to take on full humanity in order that he might save us as sinners. He had to take on our state. Prior to Jesus, all humanity has been groaning and yearning. All creation has been groaning and yearning. We're, we've been crushed under the weight of sin, and there was no remedy. Prior to Jesus, there was no remedy. It's like the hymn says, um, Come, thou long-expectant Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. Just want to invite the worship team to come up and uh, lead us. But in closing, the incarnation highlights our inadequacy as humans to do anything to save ourselves, but it further highlights God's absolute adequacy to accomplish all that is needed to redeem his people. Not just for salvation, absolutely for salvation, but not just. He also, the incarnation highlights our calling to live humbly in faith in obedience, just like Jesus did. If the creator of the universe came down as a newborn baby, we can humbly walk before him. I will leave you with um, this prayer from Psalm 131. O oh Lord, our heart is not lifted up, and our eyes are not raised too high. 
We do not occupy ourselves with things too great or too marvelous for us. We've calmed and quieted our soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child, my soul and our souls within us. O Lord, hope, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. 